Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Kerr, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Kerr. Well, I mean, as I mentioned at the start of the programme, we can only really focus on one thing tonight, can't we? That is, of course, Boris Johnson. Resignation is in. He, however, of course, is still there, much to uh, the frustration, shall I say, of many. So this tonight is the focus of this whole show, a Boris Johnson special, if you will. And who better to be on my panel tonight other than people that know him, have worked directly with him, have even advised him. Well, all of the people on this panel were... Let's just call them right-hand men to former Conservative Prime Ministers in their time. We've got Alex Dean, the Conservative commentator and former advisor uh, to David Cameron. Cameron? Cameroon? What? Who's that? I mean, do we even remember David Cameron anymore? It feels like such a long time ago, all of these people, doesn't it? Giles Kenningham, who's the former head of press in number 10 to David Cameron and special advisor to Boris Johnson, Daniel Moylan. Good evening to you, gents. Hello, nice to doing? have you. Looking forward to getting into some of this tonight. Uh, and you know the drill at home, don't you? It's not just about us here and our thoughts. It's about you at home as well. Uh, what's on your mind? What do you make to all of this? I've told you, haven't I, what I want to get into tonight. Do you think he was right to resign? Let's face it, he didn't have much choice, did he? Uh, but do you support that decision or not? Are you pleased today or are you upset, frustrated, whatever today? I also want to know who do you want uh, to replace Boris Johnson and also how? Are the Tories going to keep your vote or even gain your vote, by the way, at the next election? And also, are you even going to bother voting? I know lots of you uh, were galvanised at the last election, whether it was by Boris or Brexit. How are you feeling now if you're one of those people? Would you even bother to vote if there was a general election? I don't know. Let's say next week. Why not? It sounds ludicrous, but anything can happen. You tell me, get in touch. GBviews at gbnews.uk is the email address. You can tweet me at gbnews or at Michelle Jubes. Uh, you can also subscribe, of course, to YouTube, get our app, listen to us on the radio if you're heading out. So wherever you are, of course, you are very, very welcome tonight. Right, let's try and recap, shall we, all of the goings-on today. Our political editor, Darren McCaffrey, is live from Downing Street. Darren, hello. Good evening, uh, good evening uh, Michelle. What an extraordinary day. Yeah, so quite, quite, in some ways it was almost surreal, I have to say. I was here in this very spot as Boris Johnson stood there and made his resignation speech a, a little earlier. And I say surreal because it, in many ways it actually in the end came quite quickly. There was much talk about it happening yesterday. There was a very freewheel atmosphere at Westminster. But this morning, he clearly became very clear to the Prime Minister that he would struggle to fill ministerial posts, the government would struggle to function, and that the vast majority of the party were not in his favour. And the House of Cards, in the end, fell quite quickly. And where we're at now is we've got a new cabinet in place, uh, lots of new ministers. Greg Clark is at levelling up. We've got James Cleverley at education. Incredible to think that this morning, uh, when Michelle Dolan, the very recently appointed education secretary, resigned, there were no ministers in the education department. Well, James Cleverley is there as the secretary of state, Robert Buckland in the Welsh office. But again, it all seems a 
little surreal given the fact that Robert Buckland yesterday was calling for the Prime Minister to resign. Now he's in the Cabinet. It's very clear uh, that these men and women who've taken those positions see it as an interim post. They do not expect to be there for a long period of time. And frankly, they've taken those jobs to try and find and provide some stability in the government. But in many ways, Michelle, as is always with these things, the United States, they call them lame duck presidents. We've now effectively got a caretaker prime minister the power almost drains from here and the focus too and it's going to shift to kind of cross the road to the houses of parliament where the race to see who will replace boris johnson in many ways is well and truly underway there will be lots of runners and riders it seems not that many have declared thus far but i suspect by the start of next week we will see quite a cross-section of the party standing. Will it be Rishi Sunak, Sajid Javid, Nadeem Zahari, uh, the current Chancellor, Tom Tugendhat, uh, Steve Barclay, sorry, um, uh, I've forgotten his name, uh, Steve Baker, there we go. Um, we know that Suella Braverman is definitely going uh, to run, Jeremy Hunt, Liz Truss, Ben Wallace, it goes on and on and on. And that's going to be fascinating. The big question, I suppose, in the end is not how this plays out in many regards, but when it does, if you look at the timetable, because many people within the Conservative Party, many people within CCHQ, essentially the governing body of the Conservatives, want to see this election wrapped up pretty quickly, Michelle. They want to see these kind of the number of candidates whittled down to two by the parliamentary recess and that is in just a matter of a week's time and then the membership get to decide during the summer break and that frankly means if that happens and it's pretty likely I would suggest that we could have a new prime minister a new incumbent inside number 10 certainly by the end of the summer fascinating stuff Darren thank you very much um, okay, I was asking you guys at home some questions at the start of the show, just a recap in case you've got a very short memory indeed, because it was only 12 minutes ago. I'm asking you, do you think Boris Johnson was right to resign? Do you, uh, what do you feel? Are you happy today? Was it the right decision? Are you angry, frustrated? Uh, what? I also, a bit later on in the programme, will be asking who do you think should be our next Prime Minister? And also, how? Do the Tories keep hold of you? How do they, you know, are you going to even turn out at the next election? That's what I want you to tell me tonight. And I can tell you lots of you have already been getting in contact. Alan, though, says, Michelle, please can you explain what you're talking about at the start of the programme when you say about resignation and money? If, if what you've said is true, then many people will be astounded. Uh, yeah, Alan, what I'm referring to there is what you call severance pay. So in any other normal uh, walk of life, if you decide to resign you know, your role, let's just say I decided to resign here um, for whatever reason, that'd be goodbye, Michelle, thanks, see you later. But not, uh, it would appear, if you're a minister. So just to give you some context to this, if you voluntarily resign from the government uh, as a role of the minister, as I'm explaining, you get 25% of your annual salary, so three months pay, basically, um, and it's irrespective of why you resign, whether it's uh, for political reasons or even, get this, if you resign in disgrace, so Pincher Boy, uh, we've been speaking a lot about him, he stands to get about seven or eight grand uh, from that. Uh, the education secretary who took the position and then resigned a mere 36 hours later, yes, you did hear me right there, 36 hours later, uh, stands in line to get over 16,000 Pounds. Now, I've got to say, um, when you see all of these resignations flying in, 
And I was very uh, confused today as to why they were continuing to come in, uh, even after Boris Johnson has said, you know what, uh, I'm doing this announcement, uh, this is coming. The resignations carried on coming. Well, I personally look at that and I, it's quite an incentive. It would be an incentive for anyone, I think. I personally think that's very wrong. I do have to make clear this isn't a Tory thing. Uh, I don't want people to be saying, oh, this is the Tories getting on the gravy train. This is the rules. Them are the rules, whether you like that or not. I just think it's a little bit of a jerk. Uh, lots of you, though, have been getting in touch. Who's this? Uh, Link says, I am finished with the Conservatives. Whether or not Boris has done right or wrong, the treacherous way the Cabinet and other MPs have behaved is a disgrace. They are self-serving snakes and totally without honour. Peter says, the mainstream media got the Brexiteers sacked in the end and I will never forgive any of them. I've got to say, Peter, life was made very difficult for Boris Johnson, wasn't it, for a very long time. You know, he couldn't do a press conference about anything. He was doing international press conferences on stages with, I think it was NATO, and people couldn't help ask him about Partygate. It was embarrassing, if you ask me. Uh, Phil says, brilliant resignation speech from Boris, dignified, humble and classy. Uh, they surely will miss this leader in days to come. You don't miss uh, the well till it's dry. Rack says, I wish Boris hadn't resigned. This is all about Brexit. And I loathe all the Tories that have stabbed him in the back and ignored the Democratic vote. Uh, she says that she feels like the uh, electorate do not count anymore. Jack says, my thoughts are with Boris. He had no other choice but to resign. He's been hounded uh, since he got into power. John says, Boris is a disgrace and he should leave immediately and go to Ukraine, as it seems to interest him far more there than it does here in the UK. That's some of your thoughts. I can tell you my inbox is on fire. You've got lots of views. But first, let me open it up to my panel. Daniel, you're a former advisor to Boris Johnson. What do you make of today's going on? Well, first of all, I don't think he should have resigned on the one hand, and on the other hand, he had no choice but to resign. Um, so if a big rock is coming your way, you dodge out of its way, and that's, you know, he wanted to stay on. Uh, but he was forced to go. And I think it's a great pity. I think he was, uh, was a great prime minister. He is a great prime minister. He's transformed this country more than um, any prime minister since uh, Mrs. Thatcher. So he's completely on a new court. And um, uh, he, he, he's been knocked out. I mean, you know, oh, you might ask the question, is it a coup? And I mean, a coup implies some sense of organisation. I don't see it. I mean, Boris was right when he said it's herd instinct. It's really a bunch of sort of sort of maddened sheep um, running towards the cliff with, you know, one hand over their eyes and, according to you, the other hand in their, on, the, on their wallet. Um, uh, it's, it's not a very attractive sight, the whole thing, I'm afraid. And uh, the fact they carried on jumping off the cliff even after he said he was going is just sort of hilarious. Well, yeah, I mean, it's all very peculiar, isn't it? Giles, a new face. Welcome to you. What do you make of all of this uh, today? I mean, look, I think his position was totally unsustainable. I think he should have gone earlier. Um, it's good that he's gone now. I think the position is totally recoverable for the Tory party. I think a new leader can win. And what you've seen in the polls is more of a Tory collapse rather than a Labour revival. Um, but his position was totally unsustainable. You know, you had loads of ministers walking out. You had the cabinet ministers going. And really, I have to say, yes, you know, Boris um, did deliver, uh, you know, he his great election results uh, in 2019, but he was the author of his own downfall. And, you know, had he been straight with the public over Partygate, had he fessed up at the start, had they been more transparent about Chris Pincher, then maybe he wouldn't have found himself in this position. Rubbish. 
Daniel says rubbish. But, uh, Daniel, before you tell me why you think it's rubbish, let me ask Alex. Well, thoughts? I agree with a bit of what Giles said. I agree that the um, handling of, uh, of the crises was bad, especially the Pincher episode. I think that the government blundered the uh, explanations of what had gone on there and the apologies, which were well overdue, very badly. And that's before we even discussed the substance of managing someone who palpably was a troubled soul. I'm just saying they managed the situation very badly. So I concede that part, uh, what Giles says, absolutely. I also concede that by the time he resigned, Boris did have to go. And that's where we part ways. Because I think Boris had to go because people had resigned in such um, large numbers that it was just uh, impossible to remain in post anymore. And I think they were wrong to do so. I think that Boris Johnson was a perfectly plausible prime minister. I thought he was doing a good job. And indeed, I was doing the media round up until this morning. I was like the last Japanese soldier on my island, uh, carrying on, on the good fight, urging the Prime Minister to carry on. Now, in hindsight, I think it was inevitable uh, by the time the pressure had built up to the extent it did that he, he resigned this morning. But I still regret it. I think that um, he's been done in in the end by people who never gave him a chance. Uh, and some of whom never forgiven him for Brexit, some of whom were in the media, some of whom in the Tory party. My point is none of them had the spark to... Uh, produce the kind of electoral success that Boris Johnson did. And I'm going on a bit, so just one more point. The, the, just before we came on air, Colin Brazier was interviewing a guy from the Northern Echo who asked the question, what will the ramifications for your patch be? Responded, quite frankly, well, first of all, great legacy for Boris Johnson in, in the North and levelling up really meant something, moving civil servants and moving jobs, much more than any prime minister had done. And secondly, by the way, you know, they'll lose all those seats back. All those red wall seats that Boris Johnson won for the Conservative Party, they'll go back. All the things we've heard about individual mandates and people winning seats on their own and we don't have a presidential system, the frank view from the Northern Echo was we had those seats as long as Boris Johnson was there and then now we'll go back again. Probably, probably true. Go about Labour, you mean? See, I, I, I've got to say, I, I've been a Northerner, I'm not so sure. When the Labour Party uh, is wandering around with a leader who isn't even comfortable enough to say a woman doesn't have a penis... I think that the culture wars, all that kind of stuff, will play yeah. on people's minds. No, what I mean, you don't have to convince me that Keir Starmer's a poor politi politician or a poor leader. I agree with that. But what I mean is that there are members of parliament who owe their position, mm. their seat, not to their, their fantastic dynamic personalities and campaigning, but to yeah. the blue rosette on and the fact that Boris Johnson campaigned and got them elected and they stuck it to him. And that was the point I was seeking to make. Yeah, sorry, I misunderstood you. You're, you're absolutely right. And Kevin, one of the viewers, uh, has written, written in. And Kevin, you've put it in capital letters. What do I always say? I say, you mean business when you put it in capitals. You say, dear Michelle, I voted for Boris, not my local MP. I will never vote Conservative again. Now, I've got to say, this is a, a sentiment that I was sharing on my Twitter account, I think it was last night or whatever, when I was saying that there are so many people who voted for Boris. The pushback I always get is people are messaging me saying, oh, Michelle, you don't understand uh, the system in this country. We don't have a presidential system. We uh, vote for our local MPs. And what I would say in response to that, and I'll repeat myself, I think I even said it on the show last night, I completely understand the system that we've mm. got. Uh, I understand the technicalities of it. I understand how it works. But I also understand, because you guys... Yeah, get in contact with me. You talk to me every day. I understand the sentiment of people. Exactly. And the sentiment was different to the technicalities of the voting system. And I think that's that, the exactly, point that you're exactly making. Right. And so many people deny and undermine that. Uh, Daniel, uh, when Giles was talking, you were saying rubbish. What's rubbish? Well, Boris made mistakes. But that isn't the reason Boris was out of office. The reason Boris out, was out of office is that there was a bunch of people who have never forgiven him 
for winning Brexit mm. and were determined to find a way of punishing him, partly out of loathing and partly as a step towards getting us back into closer alignment with the European Union with prospects in the future. But it's not just that. There are other issues. But that was the core and the driver of it. And they would have found issues to pile on about um, if they hadn't found Partygate, if they hadn't found this. They'd have found other issues. It might have been more policy issues. I think Boris did make mistakes. First mistake he made was he didn't realise, because actually he's a terribly nice guy and he wants to be friends with people. Um, he didn't realise that they were going to come for him with this viciousness. I sort of thought they would, but he didn't really believe they would. And he tried to get the whole of the Conservative Party together represented in his candidate. He didn't appoint a divisive cabinet. He tried to get the different wings of the party together, and he spent too much of his time falling, falling around trying to please people who were never going to be pleased with him. And then when the, when the crunch time came, he wasn't ready for it. He wasn't ready for the, for the attacks that they launched on him. And as a result of that, he was a bit, you know, yeah, party gate, badly handled, so on. Couldn't agree more about that. But he didn't realise that those hooks were going to be exploited in the way that they were. And those are, I think, the flaws that he came to at it with. But you, you say, oh, he's a, a nice guy and all the rest of it just wants to be mates with everybody. Alan, one of my viewers, has emailed in and said, this is all Dominic Cummings doing. Well, yeah, well that know, was the most disastrous political appointment since Rasputin. But the reason I bring that up is because Dominic Cummings is obviously having an absolute field day. He's spent a lot of his day-to-day -day tweeting thoughts and feelings. Uh, he says, I mean, you're saying, oh, he's a nice guy. Boris, I'm talking about, not Dominic. Um, he's a nice guy. He just wants to be friends with everyone. Dominic uh, Cummings is tweeting in character. Boris blames everyone else, thinks he's the real victim, sets up betrayal stories for future Tory conferences and telegraph uh, columns. We're all in for a nightmare if he's allowed to squat. That's what Dominic... Yeah, well, Dominic Cummings is a guy who came in not knowing Boris, thought he was, the man, he was there to run the country, thought Boris was uh, in his way, that he was the Prime Minister and Boris was in his way. I mean, he was crazed. I spent eight years working for Boris and we worked together quite well. And he is a nice guy. And Dominic Cummings has sustained this campaign in a, a sort of crazed, obsessional way since he left Downing Street. And just, who are you likely to believe, you know? Who would you believe? Believe Dominic Cummings, if you like. What do you think, uh, Giles, to some of what you just heard, for example, from, uh, well, whoever? I, I, I mean, I think, with all due respect, Daniel, I don't think this was about Brexit. Because a lot of those MPs who were anti-Brexit left Parliament in 2019. A lot of those MPs who backed Boris, like Steve Baker, Andrew Bridge and Deanna Davidson, who were pro-Brexit, were the ones calling for him to leave. In the end, it was about his behaviour. I agree with you partly on Dominic Cummings, but ultimately Boris did appoint Dominic Cummings. No, no, it's held a disaster. No, yeah. and that's, no, no, absolutely. He, 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 that was, he that appointed was, him. I said so he can take the consequences appointment for that. I thought, I thought his resignation speech, I thought on one level it struck not a bad tone. I'd like to see more humility with it. He was still calling it an eccentric decision to get rid of him. Um, and really, I think those are the points where you can really define your legacy and how history judges you. I think there could have been a bit more of a humble tone. Uh, I just do not think he can stay for much longer. They should have Dominic Raab in there uh, because you need someone oh, in there. Oh, give up. This well, is let, this let constant let me, war. Let me, let me just finish. You, know, this, let me just you finish can't even right. stop the war on no, Boris no, no, now that he's said he's going to Let me just finish my point and you can come back on it. The reason why I think you should have Dominic Raab in there is you need someone who's got some power. Now, 
Rob may stay in the cabinet. Everyone knows Boris is, go is gone. You know, His authority has been faithfully undermined. I'm going to ask you to hold that thought only because uh, I'm going to take a quick break in a second. And when I come back, uh, I want to look a bit more specifically into who should uh, replace him. So we talk about Rob and many other people. In just a second, Derek, my viewer, says, Boris has lost his bottle. He locked us down, destroyed our country, destroyed me, and I despise him. His political assassination was inevitable, and I... I'm a party member, that's what Derek says there. Uh, Ian says Boris's demise is his own creation as he does not know how to tell the truth and be honest. Locking the country down for two years, destroying the economy, and now ending up with inflation. This is all worse than the 70s, and it's all down to the clown that is Boris Johnson. Ooh, harsh, Ian. Uh, right, gonna take a quick break. When I come back, you know what I'm talking about. Who should replace Boris Johnson? And who is gonna, well, should I say how? Are the Tories going to get or keep your vote at the next election? Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubry. I can tell you now, lots of you uh, are getting in contact and there is a bit of a mixed sentiment. There is real fury on the one hand uh, that this has been done to Boris. There's a real sentiment out there that this has been done to him, not that he's done this himself, it's been done to him. The other side of the fence is basically this is all Boris's fault uh, that he's brought it to himself. I'm asking you, where do you stand on all of this? Uh, GBviews at gbnews.uk is the email address. Also, keeping me company on my panel tonight, we've got an advisor special. Alex Dean, Conservative commentator and former advisor to David Cameron. Charles Cunningham, who's a former head of press in number 10, also to David Cameron, and special advisor to Boris Johnson, Daniel Moylan. Um, Bob says, Boris did not have a choice uh, when it comes to resigning. The backstabbers would have kept on going until it destroyed the party. Uh, Daryl says, how can they all just quit and leave us in the same position in terms of things like the cost of living? Alan says, I personally would not vote for a right-wing Tory party, but I would vote for a right-of-centre Tory party. Um, Terry says, I'm so disappointed Boris should not have been forced to go by self-serving cabinet ministers. Ben Wallace, uh, she says, is the only voice that's real and trustworthy and would get my vote. We'll be looking in just a second uh, as to who would get your vote. But there's a couple of sentiments um, that are coming through thick and fast in terms of the actual process, um, which is really, I mean, what you're all kind of saying is Nigel is saying we should have a general election. The Conservatives are over uh, Maureen says, I'm gutted of Boris uh, going. I pray the next leader is a Brexit MP and they need to make big strides to get our country back to feeling and being great again. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. Uh, let me know all of your thoughts on that. Uh, Stuart says, Boris has brought this on himself. He appointed Gove, the same person who stabbed him in the back. He wasn't a good leader. He was an appeaser. Good leaders surround themselves with loyal, trusted people and move forward together. Boris surrounded himself with enemies and paid the price. Philip says, Michelle, we the electorate put Boris into power and it should have been us that voted him out if we wish so. Well, Philip, that leads me nicely to my next uh, thing that I want to discuss with you. The last three prime ministers have all resigned while in office. David Cameron left after the Brexit vote in 2016. Theresa May resigned after losing multiple votes, of course, on the Brexit policy. And we all know what's happened today, don't we? Boris Johnson has given his resignation because of everything that we've just been discussing. 
Um, which leads me, Alex, to Phil's question, actually. Should we be able to change leader midterm without it going back to the electorate? My answer is yes, uh, and um, I, I explain it thus. I sort of don't want to appear under false pretenses. Both these gentlemen uh, worked with their prime ministers whilst they were prime ministers. I was a far more junior uh, person working with David Cameron um, in the shadow cabinet uh, when he was there. But uh, to extend your question, I, I saw two opposition leaders go uh, mid-term. And um, by, by extension, the logic might be that the opposition changing leaders should mean some kind of democratic event because you face a profoundly different kind of opposition. Ian Duncan Smith was an exhausted volcano and, uh, and was thrown out midterm by his party. And Michael Howard um, lost an election, took a little bit of time, and then had a leadership election which produced the David Cameron uh, era. I thought they were both right to go. And in just the same vein, I thought that David Cameron and Theresa May were right to go. So the Tory party hasn't just had prime ministers resigning in midterm. It's been quite a long-term feature of my life in politics. So, and of course, Margaret Thatcher before that. So all in all... Um, Showing your age, uh, Well, thank you, yes. Uh, but all in all, it's a, it's a long time coming, this idea that people can go mid-parliament. If you can't change circumstances when a leader has effectively run out of road and have to go back to the electorate, it either produces a fundamentally different constitutional settlement in which a five-year parliament is frankly too long and will start winding up with an Australian-style system where they have three-year elections, or even shorter, if that's what you're aiming at. Or you have to accept that a political party that's won a majority, got elected because of its broad mandate, its position, and is able to replace leaders, whether that leader be ill, uh, be uh, tired and have no more policies, have lost the trust of their colleagues or whatever. You should be able to change leaders. And that's notwithstanding the fact I don't think Boris should have gone. You, on principle, you should still be able to change your leader midterm. See, there you go, Philip. So uh, you, you're saying uh, that you voted him in, so you guys should have a say in whether or not he's out and who should take his place. Alex said, no, you shouldn't. Charles, where do you sit? Uh, look, it's a less than perfect system, but I have to say I do agree with Alex. We haven't got a presidential system in this country. We've got a first-past-the-post system. Um, we need some form of stability in this country. I really think the last thing we need after the past six years is another election. The Tories were elected on a broad mandate, as Alex said, for the next five years, and they should have the ability to change midway through, as did Labour when Gordon Brown came in uh, after Tony Blair chose to depart. So, no, I think it's well within their rights. Um, uh, and, yeah, I think you know the, the key question now is the Tories just not to have a long election, long enough so people are held to account. We can see whether they're match fit, uh, but then, you know, get back on with the job in hand. Mm -hmm. Daniel, where do you stand on this whole kind of should you be able to change uh, a leader for whatever reason, quite frankly, uh, midterm without going back to the electorate? Well, I think there's a real issue here. Um, I, of course, constitutionally and legally, um, Alex is and Dar's correct. This is our system, and, and it's very difficult to see how you can keep that system and not have the power to change leaders. You'd have to have a very radical reform um, in order to make that um, an unnecessary feature. But changing leader through this sort of revolt, I mean, if you change a leader because they're sick or something, it's another matter, but changing a leader through this sort of revolt should be a really rare and momentous thing. And in the Conservative Party now, it's become an addiction and if it's going to keep happening the whole time, we really need to think about whether there should be a stronger convention that if you change the leader, you should be looking to a general election within a certain period. 
And, 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 it, is different. Yeah. and it, it is different. I, I'm allowed to have original thoughts, Alex. <laughs> and because and, 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 and I really think this is probably good for a party because what we know is that when you change leader and you... Gordon Brown's an example. Gordon Brown should have had an election within a few months. Yes. Mm -hmm. And everyone expected him to have an election yes. within a few months. And he, um, he bottled it. He, he would have won that election, probably. He bottled it, he carried on, he lost. Uh, and you see other things. John, you know, John Major just scraped home, having hung, hung on to the last minute. But he did scrape home, to be fair. But nobody expected him to at that point. Um, and so on. So I think we should really have this idea, an expectation, that if you're going to make it a habit, that within a year or so, you should have a general election. You've got time to get your government together, to show you, you know, you can put the stuff together, you can have a poll, but then you would go to the electorate. Oh, oh. I think it's a bit of an abuse if you did this a year into a parliament, I mean, sure. we're more than a year into this one, I know. But if you did this a year into a parliament, like, it's a bit like James Callaghan. Nobody remembers James Callaghan, of course. I remember James Callaghan. But he became prime minister a year and a bit into a parliament, ran it to the very last had a whole day. Parliament. Yeah. Sorry? And, and had a whole parliament. And ran it to yeah. the very last day and, and was dutifully, duly crushed by Mrs. Well, Thatcher. Th Theresa May had four years of a Cameron uh, election uh, result that she didn't use after yeah. uh, she went. But, but I, the flip side of that is interesting from the party political perspective, and I know it's a different test. The one uh, positive thing to come out of this for the Conservative Party, to which we, we all belong, uh, your guests at least, Michelle, on this panel, uh, is the timing. The, the opportunity that the Tory party now has yeah. is to rebuild and seek to have a new offer to give to the electorate before it goes to the polls. So it's the reverse point about should you have an election from a party political position, the answer is God no. The answer is you've got to get yourself together, figure out what your answer is to that significant proportion of the electorate who say, I'm not going to vote for you again, I voted for Boris, I don't uh, want to vote for you. You've got to figure out what you're going to say to them, what you can offer that's really conservative, what you're going to do that's going to bring them back into the fold and how you can present yourself as having new ideas and real energy but, to I the mean, electorate. To Alex's point, this is why, whilst people may say it was brutal, the timing was right to do this, because if they left it much longer you wouldn't have given someone enough time to bed in and have an offer to the electorate. Because I know some cabinet ministers were mm. looking at this going, we could end up in a Gordon Brown situation where it gets too late and Boris Johnson just remains there. So actually, you know, painful to go through now, but I do think they can recover. So, um, Daniel, you mentioned John Major. So one of the interventions that we've seen today is he was basically saying uh, Boris should be gone pretty much now, not waiting to see it out. Where do you, where, in fact, where do we all stand well, on that? Well, he's become a rather sad obsessive. Yeah, but do we? But his point, though, so do you think that Boris uh, essentially should be gone now or do you think that he should be kind of waiting it out? But what is the, the reason the... for denying Boris the courtesy that was given to Theresa May and David Cameron of staying in office until his successor is elected? That's the first question you have to ask. This is the established convention. So why are you going to depart from the convention? That's the first thing. Second thing is, why are we even talking about this? Because I can tell you one thing. If there are Conservatives who want to carry on the war against Boris even after he's resigned, they're not going to be welcome in the Conservative Party because the party wants to move on. They want to look to the election. They want to look to the new leader. They want to stop arguing about Boris. So I have a couple of... Let me try and actually answer your questions. On the first one, I think it's that a lot of people would refuse to serve 
um, as ministers in the government if they knew that Boris was going to be there for longer than a very short, uh, longer period, days or weeks, certainly not months. And uh, given that many of them had resigned on that basis, that's part of that's, that's I don't a reasonable. Think that's just a bit ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yes. Well, I, I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure it is. If it, they resigned, I, I don't share out. their objections. Right. I thought Boris Johnson should continue as prime minister. Mm. But if you think Boris Johnson is as bad as all that, then you can see the position which says I, I'm not going to be willing to serve. But the second um, thing that Daniel was asking about, which was um, why shouldn't it just? It's a courtesy, basically. Let it let it run uh, for Convention. longer. Is that we knew to your point, that after um, we got a new leader, we were almost certainly going to have... And we thought it was very likely it was going to be Boris Johnson. We knew that we were going to have an election. And that, that election uh, would take us through to a whole new parliament. That's not going to be the case here, is it? Well, we didn't know I that think, when David Cameron... I think, well, I think also, right, to be fair, I mean, David Cameron was gone within two, three weeks off. That was Sorry. partly because the, the, the election was yeah. rigged and Andrea well, wasn't, I mean, no, well, she was the, bullied quite deliberately well, out of well, continuing her cam campaign you know, it, and the members well, were things, robbed I mean, of it, their vote. Well, it collapsed and so Theresa May came through. But secondly, I think the reason why there should be someone else in there is there are key decisions which need to be made and the person making those decisions needs to have some authority. There's no authority. In, in a way, no Dominic Raab would have authority because he may be in the next cabinet. Everyone knows Boris is going. You need someone there who can actually bring Whitehall into line. And given the bloodiness and the way and what's mm. happened, there have been so many people who've raised objections. I don't think it's sustainable for him to be in there long term. Two and a half months when key decisions have to be made, no. I mean, that's just, point. Yeah. You had no objection to David Cameron staying in for two and a half months if... Well, if, no, 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 actually, no, no, if, no, no, actually we did. If he it had, had the gone to the membership. He, no, he could have stayed in, even when Theresa... It, it, it transpired that she was going to be the prime minister. Technically, he could have stayed in. We had the conversation with him. We're like, if you stay there, you look like you're squatting. You know, you haven't got a power authority now. No, you need to go. And he was gone within two days after that. He after that. what? On the Monday, when Andrew Ledson dropped out leadership race, yeah. when it was clear, but he, could, he still, under the rules, could have stayed. Oh, well, of course. Once, once it's he clear. Said, no, but he, he was like, and it was clear. It's like, you've got to go. Don't squat. Of course. That's Someone else should take right. up the Nobody's suggesting that anyone should stay on after the party has decided who the, who the successor is. And well, uh, Theresa became the... the, I the, think the problem so here Theresa is became party leader because Andrea Ledson stood down, rather than because... They're, that's I'm no, not, not perhaps the compromise That's position, not her fault. Perhaps the compromise position is that Boris Johnson should stay as long as we choose the next leader very quickly. Yeah. In I which think that's case, right. that's fine. Well, I think that is a compromise position. This comes to the point. There has to be an open race so you can actually test people, but they need to expedite it. Do you so agree it should go to the party months. members? That it's absolute imperative it should yes. go to yes, the party definitely. members? Absolutely, yeah, okay. completely. Yeah. Right, well, I'm uh, going to take a quick break in a second. Uh, when we come back, I'm asking who should then replace Boris Johnson? Who do you want your new Prime Minister to be? Ponder that. So you've got a couple of minutes, and I'll see you then. The email address is gbviews at gbnews.uk. Tell me your thoughts, and I'll see you in a couple of minutes. We all know, don't we, that Boris Johnson has resigned. So, what does that mean? What is going to happen next when it comes to selecting a new leader? Well, let's have a look, shall we? Uh, right, if you're watching any second now, there'll be something very uh, fancy popping up on my screen, so I'm told. There you go. Uh, first, the candidates will be uh, put forward, put themselves forward. Each candidate needs eight MPs, uh, basically to back them. The MPs will then vote, with candidates receiving fewer than 18 votes. Eliminated. It's like the X Factor, isn't it? Get out. You're out. In the second round of votes, candidates with less than 36 votes are out. The process will then continue until only two remain. 
The final stage is a personal vote of wider Conservative Party members and when the winner becomes uh, basically the leader of the party and the Prime Minister. Got to be honest, <laughs> who would want that job? Quite frankly, I wouldn't, would you? Um, Giles, I think I know who you're going to tell me uh, you want the leader to be, but nonetheless, tell me. Who do you, think, who do you think I want? Dominic Raab. No, no, I don't at all. I was saying he would be a good caretaker prime minister. I actually think it's an open field. It's anyone's to get. And I think actually we need to have that leadership race to sort of see who the right person is, who can cope under pressure. I think there's plenty of talent knocking around, everyone from uh, Nadeem Zahawi. Uh, you've got Sunak, uh, I think. Grant Shapps will probably throw his hat at the ring, Liz Truss, I think they need to be stress-tested. Um, the challenge for the Tory party is it doesn't break out into civil war and it exposes more splits and divisions. So how this leadership campaign is conducted is really important. And as both me and Alex were discussing before the break, is it needs to be done quickly. Mm. Not too quickly, but quickly. We can't be having leadership race or battle which goes on for two and a half months. I would like to think that this could all be sewn up within the next four or five weeks. Daniel, who do you think should be our next Prime Minister? I haven't got a clue. Um, you need somebody who will do the following things. First of all, we have to re-establish the union. We have to sort out the Northern Ireland Protocol because that's a permanent uh, harm to the, to the constitution of the country. Second thing is we need to get the economic fundamentals right. We haven't done that. Uh, we've got, um, we had a, a chancellor who was insisting on high taxes for no justifiable reason while leaving monetary policy too loose at a time of high inflation. We need that sorted out. Uh, and we need someone who understands that and gets, that, gets a grip on the Treasury, a, a leader who gets a grip on the Prime Minister who gets a grip on the Treasury. The next thing is the whole net zero thing. We need to, at the very least, examine how the costs of net zero and achieving it by a certain arbitrary target are falling on people in the economy and what effect that's having on the cost of living. And finally, we need regulatory reform to reignite a spirit of entrepreneurship in our business sector rather than constantly feeding them on government contracts and government work. So we have some competition back and we start to improve our productivity. A candidate who recognises all of those things might well get my vote. So far, I haven't seen such a candidate, but I would like to do so. Alex, who's for you? My support seems to be the kiss of death, and that's why I'm <laughs> going to dodge the question, not because I, I don't have preferences, but because I didn't want the Prime Minister to go, so he went. And then my first preference would be Dominic Raab uh, becoming our Prime Minister, and he's ruled himself out. So it seems foolish of me to offer my support and kill off someone else's candidacy. But I will say that, unlucky for some, I, I make uh, currently 13 candidates uh, who are looking uh, to run, some of whom may be more plausible than others. In my 13, by the way... Uh, I am including Michael Gove, who has ostensibly ruled himself out, but it's a different kind of ruling himself out to Boris, to, to um, Dominic Raab's uh, kind of ruling himself out. I'm also including the declared candidates so far, Steve Baker and Suella Braverman, and uh, the sort of declared candidate, Jake Berry. Uh, and then you have basically half the cabinet, well, most of the cabinet, uh, who are currently potential contenders. That first round is going to be a hell of a thing. And I think a lot of people are going to get at least eight, eight votes to take them into that first round. And then you have a big old cull when, uh, not a, when quite a few people won't get to 18. Mm. Just a, a quick reminder, if you're interested, in 2019, so the first ballot, so obviously when Johnson uh, became the leader, you had Johnson, Hunt, Gove, Raab, Javid, Hancock, uh, Stewart, Ledsam, Harper, 
McVeigh, they were all the people that went into the first ballot. Of course, uh, it took itself down to just Johnson versus Hunt. Johnson got 66% of the members' ballot. Hunt got 33%. I've been asking you guys, um, who do you want um, to be your next prime minister? Steve uh, Baker is a name that's coming up uh, time and time again. Uh, Penny Morden, another one. Uh, Carl says it should be definitely Dominic Raab. I've bet on him 27 to 1. Um, again, that Steve Baker is really kind of going. Fletch says if the Conservatives select Suella uh, Brimman Listros or Penny Morden, they will win the next election for sure. Uh, Banil says, Michelle, I wish you could stand. I'd vote for you anytime. Yeah, I say, still time. I say, yeah. you mad? No thanks. <laughs> Um, although, to be fair, I say no thanks. Who wouldn't want to be the Prime Minister when you're actually here? Yes, you get a lot of flack, but when you hear the millions, millions that I tell you that you can be earning on the uh, speaker circuit, books and all the rest of it afterwards, why not? Um, there's another sentiment again coming through that uh, election, another election, let's have yeah. a snap election. Is that what you want? Do you want another general election? Would you go out and would you vote? Uh, Jill says, what's the point in voting? if the PM that I voted for can simply be thrown out by a gang of bullies. Uh, Raymond says, I trust a strong woman. Liz uh, trusts, that's who he wants. Um, again, someone else says, Michelle, you should. And I say, uh, yeah, thank you for the compliments, is uh, what I would say to that. Uh, many people saying I would never vote again, irrespective of who the leader is. Gotta say though that the name that is coming through, thick and fast that I'm receiving from you guys, it is Steve Baker. That name is coming up and up and up and up and up. Deanne says, I simply, uh, sincerely hope that Ben Wallace does not become the next leader of the Conservative Party. Uh, what I found interesting, uh, Gordon says, I would personally like it to be Jacob Rees-Mogg. Again, Liz Truss. Uh, Penny Morden for me says Neil. Again, uh, Penny Morden says Trevor. Julian Paul say nobody, the Conservative Party, is finished without Boris. That's their prediction. Penny says, can we have Lord Frost? Is that possible, please? Um, Linda says, I've got absolutely no interest at all who is going to become the next leader. Quite frankly, she says, they are all rubbish. So there. Joe's been in touch um, saying a separate topic but linked. Please, Michelle, can you discuss, do you think special advisers have too much power? Giles? Oh, hang on. I said I was about to go to Giles. I had an intake of breath there from Alex. So my answer is these advisers actually only gain their imprimatur, only gain their, any relevance by dint of the fact that they retain the confidence of their masters. I, I dare say, whilst it's an interesting read if you've got some time, the in audience for Dominic, Ra Dominic um, Cummings' blog is far, far smaller than it would have been had he still been in post. That's because far fewer of us care what he thinks and if he hasn't got the ear of the Prime Minister. In the end, it's only if the boss backs you that you have any relevance at all. People who think they've got too much power are looking at it the wrong way around. Oh, they only hold that, that sway because the boss still has confidence in them. But I would say that Cummings has been uh, quite kind of influential even after losing the backing of Boris. But, Giles, where do you stand? Are special advisers too powerful? No, I think... Uh, Alex hits the nail on the head there. They only survive and live or die by the confidence uh, of their masters. I think a lot, sometimes too much, is made of them. Ultimately, the politicians are the ones who make the decisions and they're held to account. I do think, perhaps with uh, advisors, and I speak as someone who worked as a special advisor in Whitehall, it would, 
there is no training for the job. And I think finding a way of actually preparing people better when they go in there would, would be really beneficial because it is a unique situation in terms of helping run <clears throat> a government department. But no, I don't think they've got too much power. Say so as a special advisor. Former special advisor. Daniel? Well, just very quickly, you, you build me as a special advisor to Boris Johnson today. I've never been a special advisor to Boris. I did work for Boris when he was at City Hall, but I never worked for him. Oh, I'm Downing just reading Street. my so, stuff out. Right, no, I'll no, tell no, them all no, off when no, I get off no, there. No, no, you, you know the score, Michelle. We've been on before. Now, uh, what, but I did want to say this. Uh, whether they've got too much power or not, Alex makes a very good point. I mean, Giles makes a very good point as well. The real problem is they have, uh, they are too junior, they are too ill-organised, and they are not constitutionally embedded, so we don't really know what they're for. And the contrast you have to look at, in my view, is if you go to the Elysee Palace and you see the presidents of France and the sort of quality of people he has doing that sort of job, and that they can go on to run companies, and well, you know, it is totally, we are totally in the wrong place with our notion of special advisors. Well, there you go. Lots of you, I said, has been sharing your thoughts. A sentiment that's come through thick and fast in the email tonight is that none of you, well, some of you, not all of you, but some of you are saying that you will never vote again. If that is indeed true, I find that a real shame. Never say never, that's what I say. Mark, yeah. you've emailed in and said it's your birthday. I'll end by wishing you a happy birthday. Have a great night. Uh, have a great night, all of you. Thanks to my panel. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Co, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time. <laughs>